yesterday, we were uh, speaking about uh, the analysis of karma, which uh, we've uh, seen means a uh, compulsiveness, compulsiveness uh, that is associated with our ways of uh, acting, speaking, and thinking. And uh, the uh, mental karma was referring to the uh, urging, compelling urge that gets us to think to do something, and then the urge, compelling urge that actually draws us into actually doing it or saying it. And then we looked uh, a little bit more deeply at uh, physical and verbal karma, and uh, we uh, uh, analyzed uh, a karmic action, which is uh, known as a pathway of karma, or a karmic pathway. And uh, we saw that uh, the karmic pathway is, uh, uh, consists of some basis at which uh, the, uh, uh, our action is aimed, so our perception of that, pers of that uh, person, for example, and the motivating framework, which uh, consists of uh, distinguishing that, you know, the object that uh, is involved from other things and uh, some intention of what we're going to do with it or do, do to it and a motivating emotion, either constructive or destructive. And then there's an implementation of the action, which we actually do it and the finale of the action, it has to uh, reach its intended goal. And uh, the uh, strength of the action and the type of action it will be is dependent on how many of these factors are complete. Like uh, we aim to uh, uh, kill somebody and we miss and we kill somebody else. So that's different, that's not the same karma as killing that person. Or if uh, we uh, uh, only hit their leg and they don't die. So we haven't accomplished, you know, the karmic action, we haven't accomplished killing them. The action has turned into uh, injuring them. Uh, or if uh, uh, we uh, yelled nasty words at somebody and they didn't hear us, then that uh, is not complete. Right? And uh, uh, so we have the karmic action with all these uh, uh, parts and then there is the body of the person who's actually committing that action and the actual physical or verbal karma is the revealing form of the uh, shape of the body as it performs the action, uh, physical action or the sound of the voice as uh, uh, we uh, commit the verbal action. It's not the action itself. And then also as part of the physical or verbal karma is the non-revealing form which is uh, uh, something like uh, a uh, subtle dynamic energy that uh, uh, starts when we uh, commit the action and then continues after the action uh, so as part of our mental continuum so long as uh, we don't um, stop do repeating that type of action. And remember that uh, mental karma that uh, uh, urged uh, that urge, compelling urge, so the compelling urge that is driving the action will uh, uh, be going on throughout this uh, physical verbal action in terms of uh, driving us to start the action, to sustain it moment to moment to moment, and to stop doing the action. So all these things are changing moment to moment during the uh, action and then continuing afterwards in terms of the uh, 
dynamic energy that continues. And then we spoke about the karmic aftermath that uh, uh, continues on our mental continuum after uh, we've uh, uh, completed doing an action. We have karmic potential, either constructive or destructive, and that consists of the non-revealing form, that dynamic energy, as well as a karmic potential in the form of a non-static imputation, which is like, for instance, the, uh, 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 an imputation is a synthesis over a period of time. So it's a synthesis of uh, the number of times that uh, uh, we've committed that type of action. And it's an imputation like, for instance, uh, uh, the number of times that we have uh, repeated the action. Like this is time number 5,421. And now that's going to change because now, you know, or how many times we've done it. So then that's going to change, you know, each time that we repeat it. So that's an imputation that changes from moment to moment. So likewise, the potential changes from moment to moment, depending on uh, the uh, strength with which we, and frequency with which we repeat the action. And these uh, two types of karmic potential, when we uh, synthesize them together, we have what's known as the network of karmic potential, the so-called collection of merit or collection of sin, horrible word. And if we stop repeating the action ever again, like taking a vow, something like that, then that dynamic energy, that non-revealing energy, goes, has a phase transition and becomes just another form of uh, 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 the impu imputation type of karmic potential. And then we had uh, karmic tendencies. Karmic tendencies are unspecified. It's neither destructive or constructive. It could go either way, depending on other factors that will accompany the ripening. These are the so-called seeds of karma. And both karmic potentials and karmic tendencies uh, give results intermittently. In other words, only sometimes, not all the time. And then we have uh, constant karmic habits, which uh, uh, give their uh, result uh, every moment of the time, uh, every moment of our uh, existence until we become enlightened. And what they do is they produce our limited awareness, our limited minds. And both the karmic tendencies and the karmic imputation, uh, karmic tendencies and the constant karmic habits, like the network of karmic potential, all of those are going to be imputations. So that's an awful lot of information. <laughs> and uh, unless we uh, go over it and uh, work with it a long time, it's uh, difficult to remember it all. So uh, if you just get the main idea that uh, it's very complicated and karma and its aftermath have many, many parts and all of these parts are changing every moment of the time and can strengthen and weaken, that is enough to start with. Now, we need to add one more uh, list of uh, things. Sorry about that. But uh, one more list, which are the karmic results. Because when we speak about karma and who's to blame and uh, you know, what we're experiencing, it's both the karma and the results. And what connects them is the aftermath. And uh, of course, uh, everything is uh, more, karma doesn't explain everything. 
So there are more things involved with what we experience besides just karma. So there are, for instance, the uh, tendencies of our disturbing emotions or the tendencies of our positive emotions that also is going along with our uh, mental continuum. And also they're going to give results that will contribute to this incredible network of things that are involved with what we experience in terms of our behavior. And there are, of course, uh, material causes of things, um, like, for instance, uh, the sperm and egg of our parents giving rise to our body. There are things that uh, other people do due to their karma. You know, part of our karma is to experience that as being the object, but uh, our karma doesn't cause them to do what they do. Their karma causes them to do what they do. So what we need to uh, overcome is this uh, uh, very, very narrow-minded, restricted view of me and I'm to blame for what happens and poor to me and poor me and deconstruct the whole picture, get a much, much wider picture that whatever happens to us is something that arises dependently, you know, remember this term, dependent arising, on an unbelievable number of factors that all are changing all the time, and each one is affected by different causes and conditions. So you have to deconstruct, you know, even if you don't know all the aspects of that, just to deconstruct and appreciate the complexity of causality that's involved with what we experience helps to uh, loosen this whole restricted idea that me and I'm to blame and poor me and I'm guilty and I'm so terrible, etc. If we have uh, naivety, which is a form of ignorance, we're naive about cause and effect. And so we think, I'm to blame for everything that happens to me, uh, independently of anything else. It's my fault. Then uh, we want to, the, one of the opponents for that is to take as our topic of shamatha and vipassana, dependent arising, especially in terms of karma. So shamatha is a stilled and settled state of mind. It's a perfect concentration. I won't go into all the details. And vipassana is an exceptionally perceptive state of mind. So both of them have perfect concentration. Vipassana is added on top of shamatha. So what's the difference? The difference, I mean, there are many differences, but the relevant difference here is that shamatha, we just have a gross detection is the technical term, uh, gross, gross detection of what we're dealing with here. So this is why I was saying that it's very helpful to have, to start with a general idea of how unbelievably complex it is in terms of what we experience. And it's made up of so many different parts and they're all changing, they all have their own causes. Everything networks with each other just to have shamatha focused on that is shamatha and very, very beneficial. Vipassana adds on top of that exceptionally perceptive of all the details simultaneously. 
within the context of having that general idea. So that's how you work. You know, that gives us an idea of how we work with this material. So shamatha relies on the mental factor of gross detection, vipassana on what's called subtle discernment of all the details. Last night I uh, went to the Bolshoi Ballet and uh, aside from the fact that it was fantastic, uh, it uh, really gave me a very good example of the difference between shamatha and vipassana. You're watching the stage with a lot, a lot of dancers on it and that uh, shamatha style is to see the whole picture of all the dancers. But while you're seeing the whole picture of all the dancers, it's very, very difficult to discern, you know, any specific one that's doing and the expression on their face and all of that. If you focus on one, you lose the whole picture. Shamatha is seeing the whole picture. Vipassana would be able to have everything in it in focus and you are aware of all the details of every single dancer. That sure. would be the difference. Well, and of course, throughout the whole thing, you have perfect concentration. That's understood. So since the World Cup is going on now in Russia, and when you're watching it on TV, then notice the difference when you see the whole field and you see all the players running around very difficult to focus on what each player is doing, isn't it? You see the whole general picture. That would be shamatha. <laughs> but what you ideally want to achieve, which is much more advanced, is vipassana. On top of that, that you're able to see you know, very clearly and know very clearly what each player is doing in each moment. So starting <laughs> with the general idea of karma, <laughs> is good enough, good enough. Later, you'll add in the uh, details. It's exactly the same when you do a very complicated tantric visualization. You get the general thing, and then later, add in all the details. Same process. Okay, so now the karmic results. What uh, uh, we need to realize is that uh, there is a very complex analysis of uh, uh, different types of causes and different types of effects in Buddhism. Very sophisticated. And each causal factor can function as many different types of cause simultaneously. And each causal factor can give rise to several different types of results. Any result that arises is the result of many, several different causes together. So you never have a one-to-one -one correlation that, you know, just one cause gives one result. And these things don't just give results one time. They can give results many times. So without knowing all the details, because it is unbelievably complicated, the details of all of that, that general idea is enough. That's why we have this differentiation of karmic potentials and tendencies and non-revealing forms because there's such an incredible complex of uh, how cause and effect works. Remember, the whole purpose of this is to deconstruct this grasping for, you know, everything is solid, you know, just one thing, big, horrible mess 
what I'm experiencing. You want to deconstruct that grasping. And by understanding the complexity, just the fact that there is complexity, starts to deconstruct it. You know, what I'm experiencing is such a horrible problem, big solid thing, and poor me, I'm experiencing it. And I'm guilty because it's my fault. You know, it's such a solid, horrible view of what we're experiencing. You have to deconstruct that, loosen it, see that it's arising dependently on so many different factors. Are the way that things appear to me like that, and it feels like that, doesn't correspond to reality. That's what voidness is all about. There is total absence of something in reality that corresponds to it. It's not backed up by reality. So let me uh, go through the uh, type of uh, karmic results uh, fairly quickly. We have uh, ripened results. Ripened results are always unspecified. Unspecified, meaning that they can be either destructive or constructive, and not uh, one or the other, just by themselves. So it refers to the unspecified items in the five aggregates of our rebirth state. So for instance, our body, whether you're born with a human body or a fly body, both type of bodies are neither constructive or destructive. It's unspecified. It depends what you do with it. You know, and a lot of things come together with the package of the body, don't they? If we have a human body, if we're happy, we smile. If we have a dog body, if we're happy, we wag our tail. So that comes with the package of the body. <laughs> also, the cognitive sensors, you know, the type of human eyes or fly eyes. Flies see things quite differently the way that humans do. So that's part of uh, the right results. And the type of consciousness that uh, we'll have. You know, the human consciousness is much more, uh, has much more abilities than a fly mental consciousness. All right, so we're talking about the hardware of the rebirth body that we uh, have. But also the ripened results are the feelings of happiness and unhappiness that uh, we experience. They're neither destructive or constructive. And uh, other unspecified mental factors like uh, concentration that go with the hardware. You know, the type of concentration that you will have as a human or a fly will be quite different, you know, just because of the limitations of uh, that type of brain. Strength of your concentration, of course, will vary on according to your own uh, training. That, you know, a different type of cause will affect the strength of that concentration, but what you're capable of with a fly brain or a human brain will be different. So that capacity of the concentration is a ripened result. But uh, the destructive and uh, constructive emotions, they're not ripened results. They, come, they are constructive or destructive. They come from their own tendencies. Then we have the results that correspond to their cause and our behavior. Uh, this is, uh, they include two types of mental factors. One is the wish to repeat the same type of behavior as we previously committed, and the second is the intention to repeat it. 
karma doesn't ripen from karma, some sort of intermediary. So what ripens, this result corresponding to the cause in our behavior, is I feel like yelling at you. I feel like giving you a hug, a sort of wish and intention. That's what comes from it. Whether you implement it or not is something else. That, in fact, is a tremendous insight if we can uh, uh, observe that in our experience because there's a gap between when we feel like doing something and when we actually do it. And if we can lengthen that gap or use that gap, then we can apply discriminating awareness. I feel like uh, you know, saying something stupid, but then I realize you know, this is stupid, you know, so I say it. But I don't say it. Okay, then we have the results that correspond to their cause in our experience. So these results include the moments of consciousness involved in experiencing something being done to us, similar to what we've previously done to others. That moment of consciousness that experiences it. Someone hits us, for example. Our karma doesn't cause them to hit us. To hit us. Their karma causes them to hit us. My karma causes me to experience being hit. Doesn't cause me, cause the other person to hit me. That's well, yeah. a very important difference. They have some responsibility for hitting me. It's not my fault that they hit me. I mean, we may contribute the conditions that cause them to hit me, but the fact that they responded by hitting me, that's from their karma. The objects that we experience, like the pain of being hit and the bruise that comes from it, arise from their own causes. Those are mechanical causes because of this type of body that we have. We'll experience pain and we'll get a bruise. So that's not, you know, specifically the karma thing. What is karma, uh, what's involved with the karma of that is our unhappiness at that pain, that with which we experience that pain. Pain uh, itself is mechanical. You know, we have <laughs> nerves, we have very thin skin, etc. So that, you know, produces pain. Karma part is our experiencing the pain. So, and that of course has many different uh, causes. If we had leprosy, we wouldn't feel the pain, for example. Then we have the dominating or comprehensive results. And these are the moments of consciousness involved in experiencing the environment and the society in which we are born or enter, and in experiencing what happens to our possessions. So the fact that the uh, environment is polluted is not a result of our you know, individual karma. It's a result of many, many causes. I mean, we could have helped pollute the environment, but uh, in general, what is part, you know, the comprehensive result is our experiencing being in a polluted environment. Living in such a place, being born in such a place, uh, moving to such a place where we were going to, are experiencing that. Where we experience that uh, whatever we buy falls apart and breaks. Well, that's because of the manufacturer. 
But uh, we always, you know, buy the wrong thing, basically. Buy a, a terrible product. Uh, I have a very amusing uh, example of this in my own life. I uh, inevitably, almost every time that uh, there are uh, queues, you know, lines at the checkout counters in the supermarket or in, uh, you know, when you enter a country, the line for checking your passport or things like that, I almost always choose the slowest line. Now, the fact that the line is slow is not my effect. You know, not my, <laughs> I'm not causing that. But it's unbelievable how almost every time I choose the worst line to go on. <laughs> That's <Fortunately>. karma. <laughs> so there are many, many examples of this type of result. And if you understand it like that, actually you can laugh at it, which uh, makes it much easier than uh, you know, getting angry and swearing. <laughs> So, I have to learn patient, more patience. <laughs> it's the lesson to learn from that when I have to wait. Okay, now there's one more topic that I'd like to uh, cover. And uh, this is, uh, this morning, and this is relevant to our discussion of me and the role of me in all of this. Uh, me like age and speed and these sort of things is an imputation. The self is an imputation on the basis of an ever-changing individual continuum of five aggregate factors. So five aggregates are just a classification scheme, uh, but uh, uh, by working with it, there's a reason why they are divided into these five and so on. No need to go into that. But uh, it helps us to deconstruct each moment of our experience. It's made up of many, many parts. So some of these aggregates have uh, uh, only one thing in them. Some of them have many things in them. But uh, in each moment of our experience, there's going to be some items from each of these five uh, groups. And, of course, don't think of these, uh, you know, in a solid way that there are boxes somewhere in my head or up in the sky somewhere and, you know, things come out of it. It's not like that. It's just an analytical scheme. So we have forms of physical phenomenon. Those include the uh, uh, sights, sounds, smells, tastes, physical sensations, and mental objects that have some sort of form, like in our dreams. You know, we're not talking about objects that are not connected with our mental continuum, like that chair. But uh, what I experience is the sight of a chair that's like a mental hologram or something like that. That's in the form aggregate. And we also have our body, and we have the cognitive sensors, you know, the photosensitive cells of the eyes, sound sensitive of the ears, and so on. Those are forms of physical phenomena. You know, they're sort of part of the body, like the hardware, like for what a fly has and what we have in terms of eyes, quite different. Then we have uh, some type of uh, consciousness, which is, uh, you know, visual or hearing or seeing or, I mean, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling a physical sensation or mental. So there's always one of these 
in operation. Often there's more than one at the same time. Actually, there are. All of them are operating at the same time. It's just that we don't pay attention. I mean, we're sitting here and you are seeing me and you're hearing me. There's, you know, eye consciousness and ear consciousness. But if you paid attention to it, you could also have consciousness of uh, the physical sensation of the temperature of the room or of the seat that you're sitting on. You could also have uh, 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 smell consciousness of the uh, smell in the room, of the air, uh, taste consciousness of the, the taste of the saliva in your mouth. I mean, all of that's going on, isn't it? Yes. And thinking that's going on too. It doesn't have to be verbal. Then we have the aggregate of distinguishing, uh, sometimes translated as recognition, but that's a misleading uh, translation. We, uh, within a uh, sensory field, in order to, you know, we're not just seeing pixels of light, we are distinguishing one object from another object. Otherwise, you can't make sense of uh, what you're perceiving. So distinguishing. Then there's the aggregate of feeling, which is only referring to a feeling somewhere on the spectrum of happy or unhappy. It's not dealing with emotions. Only that feeling of happy or unhappy. It's how we experience the results of our karma, is the definition. And then there's the uh, aggregate of other affecting variables, which is everything else. So all the positive and negative emotions and all the uh, mechanical type of mental factors like concentration, attention, interest, these sort of things. So if we deconstruct this moment of our experience, we'll fit, we see that it's made up of many, many parts and they're all changing moment to moment and they all are changing uh, by being affected by different types of causes and conditions. So again, we, you, know, you don't have to have all the detail in order to focus and appreciate and benefit the complexity of what it is that makes up each moment of our experience. It's not solid, and me is imputed on that. And because what we experience is uh, not solid, the me that's imputed on it is not solid. So if we want to go further with our analysis, then uh, if what we talked about, you know, karma during the action, karmic aftermath, karmic results are made up of so many different parts that are all changing. And if me as the agent is an imputation on the five aggregates, which are changing every moment to moment, then what we need to do is to fit all these components of karma and its results into the five aggregates. Then we see the relation of the me with karma. This is a very nice exercise, which is the type of exercise that you do of fitting one complex system into another complex system uh, when you study Abhidharma. Abhidharma are these topics of knowledge and they are, you study them in order to develop your discriminating awareness, your intelligence of working with complex systems and seeing what fits into what and what are the logical pervasions and so on. So 
this is a very nice little analytical task to do, to fit the two systems together. And it's relevant because the me, we want to understand the relation of the me in terms of all of this. The self. So since I experience figuring out such things with happiness as a result of my karma, then uh, I like to do that. There may be some people who, having to do that, would experience it with unhappiness. They don't like to do that. Oh, this is you know, intellectual. They have a negative attitude toward that. But uh, in any case, uh, if we want to develop our uh, intelligence, our discriminating awareness, this is uh, these type of uh, um, exercises, in a sense, are very, very helpful, and they're not just theoretical because it helps us to deconstruct the self in relation to karma. So I will just report the uh, results of that uh, analysis. Don't be freaked out by uh, how, uh, how much detail there is, just so that uh, you appreciate that uh, the two systems can be mixed together, like Wait. shuffling cards, you know, two stacks of cards, and you shuffle it together. They fit. <laughs> and uh, we'll do this in terms of physical or verbal actions. So at the time of a karmic action, in other words, during the karmic pathway, we have uh, in the aggregate of forms of physical phenomenon, the sight of the body or the sound of the voice of the, and the person as an imputation on that, that's the basis at which the action is directed. Yeah, you, you see somebody, and then, you know, I want to say something nasty to you. So that's sight. And the person, obviously, has an imputation on it. Not just yelling at pixels. But the person would be uh, other affecting variables, right? The one that you see, your person is in the other affecting variables, oh, not the there. That's part of the common sense object. But the sound of the voice is our voice or another person's voice? No, we're talking about the, the object, object, the object of our, you know, any karmic action has an object. Right. Yep. So, so, we, so you know, I uh, am talking to you. So the sight of you, uh, you, of you and the sound of your voice, that's the object at which my uh, speech is directed. Right. And you, as a person, are an imputation on that. I'm not just talking to pixels. Right, yeah. Me as a person, that's part of my aggregates, you know, is my you know, aggregate of affecting variables, but you are not part of that. Mm -hmm. I see a person. I see you. I uh, talk to you. Remember, we're using the Prasangika explanation, not Chittamatra, not mind only. Then uh, also in the aggregate of forms is the revealing form. So that's the compulsive shape of my body and the compulsive sound of my voice as I implement the action. And the non-revealing form, the compelling dynamic energy during the implementation of the action. It's all the form aggregate. Then the aggregate of distinguishing, we have to distinguish the basis at which the action is directed. Then the uh, compelling urge, the intention, the motivating emotion, those are all in the aggregate of other affecting variables. So concentration is also here, right? Yeah, but we're just talking about the uh, um, 
variables that are involved with uh, the karmic action. Many other things, of course, in the aggregates besides these. We're just uh, uh, putting together two systems, not giving a full uh, list of everything that's in the aggregates. So, of course, during the action, there's also going to be an aggregate of consciousness, an aggregate of feeling. There'll be many other mental factors, but uh, we're just looking at uh, the specific components of the karmic action and the stuff that's around it, you know, what's happening during the karmic action. We have the karmic action, we have the urge, we have, you know, the sound of our voice or the, uh, you know, what's going on with our body. Non-revealing form, the energy, dynamic energy. Sometimes the finale of the uh, action is uh, uh, experienced on our own mental continuum, like distinguishing what we've stolen as being ours, or actually expressing the idle chatter, right? Or we experience uh, pleasure from uh, our inappropriate sexual behavior. That's the finale. Doesn't have to be orgasm, just pleasure. But uh, sometimes it's uh, not part of our, the finale is not part of our continuum, and uh, we might not even know it, know about it. Like for instance, uh, from shooting somebody they die, but they could die, you know, later in the hospital, and we don't even know. So, uh, sometimes that finale is something that's part of our continuum, sometimes it's not part of our continuum, and we know it, sometimes we don't even know it. Hmm. So, that's during the karmic action. Now, during the time of the karmic aftermath, how do all these pieces fit into the five aggregates? Uh, in the aggregate of forms, we have that non-revealing form, the compelling dynamic energy. And in the aggregate of other affecting variables, we have uh, the uh, karmic potential as an imputation, network of karmic potential, karmic tendency, and constant karmic habits. And then at the time of the karmic result, in the aggregate of uh, for, uh, forms of physical phenomenon, we have the type of rebirth body, a human or a fly, uh, the type of cognitive sensors of our rebirth body, so human eyes or fly eyes, human brain or fly brain. Uh, as objects of cognition, the sights, sounds, smells, tastes, or physical sensations of the environment in which we're reborn or live, and of our possessions. Yeah, the ugly sights, you know, of where we're born, the terrible smell of the pollution, you know, we're not talking about those objects, we're talking about our experience of them sure, as objects yes, yeah. of cognition, so the, like the mental holograms of them. The taste of the food, you know, how, uh, if we're born in England, you know, all the food, you know, the taste that we experience is bland. We're born in India, it's hot chilies. <laughs> and as an object of cognition, the sight, sound, or physical sensation of someone doing something to us similar to what we've done in the past, or something happening to us similar to what we've done in the past. And then the, uh, in the aggregate of consciousness, the types of consciousness of our rebirth body. You know, uh, human sight, as opposed to, you know, fly type of uh, consciousness, visual consciousness of a fly, the visual consciousness of an eagle, you know, has much greater capacity. So that type of consciousness associated with the hardware of the body. Then uh, the moment of consciousness that cognizes the sight, sound, or physical sensation 
of someone doing something similar to us, to what we've done in the past, or something happening to us similar to what we've done in the past. So the consciousness that experiences that, that moment of consciousness, those moments of consciousness. And then in the aggregate of feeling, the level of happiness or unhappiness that accompanies each moment, and in the aggregate of other affecting variables, the wish to repeat an action similar to what we've done before, the intention to repeat an action similar to what we've done before, and the unspecified mental factors of our rebirth type of mind. For instance, human concentration or fly concentration, human discriminating awareness or human intelligence and fly intelligence. And of course, in each moment, whether we're talking about during the karmic action or during the result, that all the factors of the karmic aftermath are still there as well. They don't stop until they have uh, uh, exhausted. You know, finished giving, uh, giving rise to the result, or they've been uh, um, deleted in a sense, you know, purified. So, although it's undoubtedly uh, uh, not possible to remember all of this unless uh, we write it down and make a chart and make uh, things like that, that's okay, because uh, what we want to gain from this is that, in fact, we experience karmic, uh, you know, uh, what happens to us during our, you know, an action afterwards and when we experience the results, we experience all those components of karma as part of our five aggregates. They fit in. That's the point. The detail can fill in later. But just be aware that it, it does fit. That's why I give you the list. So the me or the self is an imputation on an individual continuum made up of these five mental factors in which all the components of karma and its aftermath and its results fit. So how do we experience karma, karmic cause and effect? We experience it in terms of five aggregates. So that's enough for this morning. And uh, after lunch, uh, you are welcome to ask questions. And then uh, we will uh, conclude with a discussion of the self and the nature of the self in relation to these aggregates in which all these aspects of karma fit. And I am doing this whole type of analysis with you uh, as an illustration of uh, how we deal with personal issues to apply the Dharma to our lives. You do that through analysis. So this Dalai Lama emphasizes that all the time. So if we have a problem of guilt and you know, we're always blaming ourselves and I'm not good enough and you know, everything's my fault and so on, this is how you would go about analyzing that. You know, this causes suffering. Because it causes suffering, it's undoubtedly, I mean, definitely based on ignorance, unawareness of how we exist, how, of how cause and effect works. So then you try to figure it out. What's the problem? And then find the cause of the problem. And then, you know, the understanding that will bring about stopping of that problem. 
We want to delete all this junk that's causing problems, all these troublemakers from our minds, from our mental continuum. That's what we're trying to do. <laughs> if you want to use a nice analogy, which is sort of amusing, what we're trying to do with Buddhism is to uh, work with a piece of computer hardware that doesn't have any limitations, and we want to run an operating system and program on it that doesn't have any bugs. So we want to debug it. And that's what we all have, is very limited computer, very limited hardware, and the operating system and the uh, programs that we run on it are just absolutely filled with bugs. That's samsara. And we always buy another one, another horrible computer that breaks and has these limitations and can't do what we want it to do and crashes and all of that. You know, we die, so it crashes and, you know, we continue running these horrible programs on it. <laughs> okay, thank you.